all day. I'm an elf, work, 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 work. I'm an elf, work, 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 work. I'm an elf, work, 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 work. And I never get to be by myself. I'm a tired little overworked elf, work, 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 work. Welcome to the Weird Christmas Podcast. I'm Craig Kringle. I have an elf problem. Around this time of year, I see them everywhere. And no, I'm not hallucinating, because you see them too. I'm not normally hallucinating, but I just finished a video about Santa and mushrooms, so maybe there are some flashbacks. But no, it's those damn Santa elves. They're everywhere. They're making toys, they're selling beer and bad Santa movies, they're always the overburdened wage and slave labor, which let's admit are the same thing. And what bugs me is one thing. They're tiny and cute. This, people, is wrong. Elves aren't supposed to be little twinkly things that sing fa-la-la-la-la while eating candy canes. I was raised on Tolkien. I know that elves are majestic, noble creatures who are one step closer to angels than to weird little Victorian pixie fantasies. The Santa myth has only fed this historic corruption of our imaginations. Tolkien knew this too. In his essay on fairy stories, he talks about how bemused he is that this happened. And I should quote part of it because really any excuse to quote Tolkien is a good excuse. As for diminutive size, I do not deny that the notion is a leading one in modern use. I've often thought that it'd be interesting to try to find out how that has come to be so, but my knowledge is not sufficient for a certain answer. Of old there were indeed some inhabitants of fairy that were small, though hardly diminutive, but smallness was not characteristic of that people as a whole. Yet I suspect that this flower and butterfly minuteness was a product of rationalization, which transformed the glamour of Elfland into mere finesse, and invisibility into a fragility that could hide in a cowslip or shrink behind a blade of grass. It seems to become fashionable soon after the great voyages of European exploration had begun to make the world seem too narrow to hold both men and elves. He's right, there is room for elves and men in the world. There's even room in Christmas, but it means learning a bit more about why elves should be around during the winter and what they're really like. Lucky for us, someone has just written a book about elves. And lucky, too, it's the same someone I talked to last year about her book, The Old Magic of Christmas. And that's Linda Radish. A lot of Christmas geeks like me think of her as one of the experts on older, darker, and forgotten Christmas and solstice traditions. But she turned her sights to the realm of fairy as a whole and away from just winter. Her new book is called The Lore of Old Elfland, Secrets from the Bronze Age to Middle Earth. And I'm going to brag for a minute because I got an early reader's proof copy. I'm totally an influencer in the world of crossover elf and Christmas history. I'm also just pushy and like free stuff, but seriously, thanks to her publisher Llewellyn for sending me an advanced copy. The book's out now, but we talked a bit before it came out. And we will get to Christmas elves, but Linda wanted to work up to them and talk about some autumn and fall elf lore too. In fact, since this show's coming out before Thanksgiving, we can say we're still safely in that season and Linda wanted to be sure that we didn't give the autumn elves short shrift. Yeah, in October in Scandinavia, we don't know much about it, but there was a special feast for the elves and also for the Disir, which were female spirits who were guardians of the family. Mm -hmm. And that seems that's probably when they were bringing in the harvest, so it was a good time to gather, and that's when they made sacrifice to the elves. Probably animal sacrifice. There seems to have been some blood involved. Uh, so in my imagination, even before Halloween is when elf season starts and, and runs through <laughs> runs through Twelfth Night. There are actually a ton of old vintage cards that have elves around Halloween. 
not just scary goblins and things like that, but actual fairies. I mean, all the way to Victorian type fairies, to um, the kind of elf circle fairies that you might hear about. But it surprised me how many old cards still associate Halloween with that. When I feel like earlier versions of Samhain or Halloween were still connected to finding that sort of gate to the other world, which is more elf-like. Yeah, we should have elves at Halloween because elves really are synonymous with fairies and Halloween is Mm -hmm. so Irish and fairies, the sheath are so big in the Irish mythology that Mm -hmm. uh, we should give them their place back. And it's a a darker, more interesting elf at Halloween than we usually think of at Christmas time. The harvest elves, that's interesting because I don't necessarily associate elf or fairy stories with the harvest you usually or i usually think of them more like completely otherworldly creatures but you're talking about elves as sort of the house elves or the the domestic elves that are still connected to part of yeah there's a lot of stories in england and ireland too but also i concentrated on the scandinavian ones where um, elves sometimes come and help with the harvest with the the human harvest which they know how to do because they have have to harvest their own fields and it's known that the elves they have their own livestock they have their own fields and their own farms cases of where they they come and help and the the british elves you're not supposed to give them the fairies you're not supposed to give them any payment kind of like the shoemakers and the elves and they'll take off yeah but the scandinavian Mm -hmm. elves they like to get a little something um at christmas time they like their bowl of porridge then there's a I think I have a Scandinavian, yeah, I have a Scandinavian story in there where they, the I think the farmer's family gives them beer. Mm-hmm. And then, um, and they even tied up the sheaves for them. Yeah, they, so they, they will work for kind families. Do you know why? Because I've heard that before about the British or English tradition where you're not supposed to pay them, that it's seen as an insult. Do you know where that came from or why that I would, is? Sometimes it's seen as an I don't know if it's seen as an insult or if it's okay. Now we're going to, we've got clothes. We can go somewhere. We're on our way up. We don't have to do this farm work ah. anymore. And it was always the, it was the, you know, farmers always had lots of farm hands, unrelated people in the household who worked for them. And usually at, at New Year's, they had to give them clothes. So maybe it was thought of like, you, maybe you shouldn't give them clothes that are too nice (laughs) they might you know get full of themselves and think they can go off into town and find a better position that's i've wondered that that's fun because that's not usually what i think of i usually think about the elves as people being sort of frightened of them and wanting to be sure that they're placated and that yeah but also to keep them in their place i think yeah keep them on the other side so that we don't like them coming right into the house they can do some work in the barn that's okay uh, but coming in right into those things, things can get dangerous. Well, Christmas elves. So I know you did have a chapter about that in the old magic of Christmas. Mm-hmm. And of course, everybody knows Santa's elves. But you also mentioned the Tompton. And they're really big still in sort of iconography and cards and pictures napkins. all over. I have my Tompton napkins for this Christmas already. Yeah. So there are elves at Christmas are more than just the Santa story, especially in Northern Europe. Like you mentioned, are there are others other than the Tompton? Still active? Well, the, okay, the Tompton is Sweden. In Denmark, it's the Nis. And the Danish Nis mm-hmm. always has a red cap on. I actually did a, um, I have uh, two collections of Hans Christian Andersen stories. Um, I went using the 
I think on Google, using the search term to find every place where he mentions Anis in his stories. And they always, he always says that they wear a red cap. Mm -hmm. And on the napkins, they've got red caps too. Hmm. And there's special Nis who live in the church. There's a special Danish churchness. And in Finland, there's special, um, the Tontu, special kind that lives in under the altar cloth in the church. So they're probably there at Christmas Mass. And I should say that if you're not exactly sure what Tomten are or, or the Nissa, think of the gnomes that you might know from Brian Froud, or not not from Brian Froud, what's his name? Oh, shoot. Oh, Portfolio. Yes, yes. Where the little old man with the big, tall, red cap um, and gnomes. I think gnomes would be the way that most English speakers would talk about them. Yeah. Like, yeah, they look very, um, yeah, that illustrator is Dutch. And, um, but yeah, it's, it's a quintessential Northern European gnome. But he's also to, to blame for the bad PR that the troll has suffered from. Because he, oh, he really went over the top of his trolls. And they always had snot coming out of their nose. That's right, the trolls in there. And yeah, somebody needs to write a book just about specifically trolls and, you know, bring them back to their former glory. Well, maybe we could tell, what are the Tomten? Is there a good way to sort of describe what they are and what role they have in Sweden? Right now, they their job is mostly to be on napkins and cards and Christmas decorations. <laughs> um, I think people t- still do put out porridge bowls for them. That's a, the traditional image. You usually see a happy Nis uh, sitting in the barn eating his bowl of porridge on Christmas Eve, and it has to have a big pat of butter on it. Uh, it seems to be the... The name, the etymology of the word has something to do with the the, gra- the courtyard around which the old farmhouses were built. And the theory that I like best is that the Taunton is the ghost of the original farmsteader, the, the, the person who founded that farm. Oh, wow. You know, cleared the forest and, and put up the first house that he still lurking there i never knew that one. Oh, great and they sometimes sometimes they um fight it out with the spirits of the neighboring farm they're very territorial and they on the one hand they protect the family but on the other hand they seem not to like children they seem to prefer old people mm-hmm. if they're going to talk to anybody it's probably going to be the older people on the farm and they they can play kind of rough tricks if they don't like somebody who's living or working on the farm mm-hmm. yeah they're not um they're not cheery <laughs> they're kind of like grouchy old men which would support the theory that it's the the ghost of the first founder but there are lots of other winter elves and winter legends about elves you've got a whole chapter glory the chapter glory of the elves right yeah um one of my favorites is the the one who uh fetches up in a danish king's bedchamber is it on christmas eve i think it's on christmas at least it's it we know it's a christmas time or yule time uh fetches up and that she turns out to be bad news well maybe it's might be his fault she gets pregnant of course and um, he's supposed to pick up the baby later, and he doesn't. And um, when he finally does take the, it's a daughter, into his household, she turns out to be a handful and starts a war and turns out very much like the White Witch in Narnia. In fact, I have a footnote in that chapter that I know for sure that Tolkien would have read this story. It's, it's always fun when you're doing research and you come across a story like, oh, well, that's where, that's where Tolkien first got the the kernel of this idea <laughs> so it's like you know you've been you know he, he's been there and i feel like you know he's left a breadcrumb for me and I say oh hi um but i wonder if since he and c.s lewis were pretty tight if tolkien would have recommended 
this Norse saga to to C.S. Lewis, and he perhaps used Queen Schooled as part of the inspiration for his White Witch. That would be fun if we knew. And the title of that one is, is the Saga of King Hrolf Kraki. I'm yes. not sure if I'm pronouncing yes, that's the one. Correctly. Yeah, the Old Norse is pretty much self obvious in pronunciation. It's not too hard. That's one of my favorite. I like the the Norse sagas that I like best. I'm not too much into the sagas of the Icelanders. I like the ones that took place um, back home in Scandinavia. In the it's it's never in anybody's memory the telling. It's always happened long ago. It's where they're more fairy tale like, and they have more elves and trolls and troll wise folk. And there's a lot more supernatural things going on. There's some shape shifting. Those are called the the Fornalver saga. And I'm waiting for somebody to put them all together in one book in English. That hasn't happened yet. Oh, let me know as soon as they do. I will. <laughs> I would definitely. I'll let you know as soon as I know. But you also talk about how around Christmas time there, or Yule time, or even just in the winter, that elves were often associated with celebrations and dancing, particularly complicated elf dances. Yeah. Which I think is really fun that there are all these winter celebrations with the elves are involved in, because that fits. So what we always talk about, oh, the solstice was a pagan ritual before, but to even have elf dances and elf celebrations. I just think that's fascinating. Yeah, and and those dances, those Christmas time and Yule time dances, um, I a lot of girls got pregnant at those, <laughs> so they might have said, uh, maybe they didn't remember who the father was, because <laughs> there's stories of, of girls getting abducted from those dances. Sometimes they're saying that they're they are themselves impersonating the elves. Um, in Iceland, for a while, they tried to crack down on them because they didn't like all the hanky-panky that was going on. Um, uh. But it was a, that was a time, there weren't a lot of times, especially when you're living in, in a society where everybody's living in these far-flung farmsteads. You need to have time for everybody to get together and, and pick out a wife or a husband. Uh, so these elf dances were a good excuse for that. And maybe if it's under the aegis of the elves, it's a blessing for the couple that they will be fertile because um, at least in the Middle Ages, I don't think that was a big drawback. I think it was maybe even an advantage if the bride was pregnant when she got married, because then you knew she could get pregnant and then she was, a, you know, she's going to bear children. So it's a good investment. In fact, I've even heard <laughs> but it's also that convenient heard, if you can blame it on an elf. And, well. and blame it on an elf. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But and people were happy to claim elf blood. To claim an elvish ancestor oh yeah i think my grandmother they think she might have been an elf they they took pride in that i would yeah me too i think that would be the coolest thing yeah they don't have a dna test for that yet <laughs> well connected with that i mean we know that the first time santa claus is mentioned in twas the night before christmas he's mentioned as a jolly old elf and of right. course santa has his elves that work for him I know you don't talk about this directly in the book, but do you have any sense of how St. Nicholas got associated with elves? Well, the, the jolly old elf in The Night Before Christmas, he's, he's very German because um, of Thomas Nast. The illustrator Thomas mm -hmm. Nast was originally from Germany. But he, he was going, I think he was riffing on the Peltznickel, who was more of a minor character. Mm -hmm. Peltznickel being a, a fur Nicholas, a fur Nick because he wore furs and he was around at Christmas time and he gave 
he could he could either give out the treats or he could also punish you. He could also whip you. There's a lot of those. Isn't right. Ashley one a furry one? Um, People know Krampus, but yeah, Pelsnickel and some of the others, uh, Connect Ruprecht were often they could they could do both. They could do both. Yeah, they didn't know it was me to Krampus. Yeah. yeah, they could do both. So wait, where were we saying? How did it get associated with Saint? How did elves Nicholas? get connected with Santa and with Saint Nicholas? I and... am. I am sketchy on how, okay, by the time we have Rudolph in 1950-whatever, mm-hmm. um, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, we've got the elves fully full-time employment at the North Pole making toys, which is very in keeping with the elven identity because they were known from, from the Norse sagas, they were known for making really good stuff. Mm-hmm. If you want something, if, if, you know, one of the other gods cut your hair off and you need a really good wig, you go to the elves. <laughs> if you need a golden bristled boar, you go to the elves. So, but there's not a consistent tradition of that really all the way up into the Rankin Bass Rudolph, the red-nosed reindeer. Mm-hmm. So I am not sure. I think somebody ran with that jolly old elf line well that's honestly that's what i was wondering if it was just sort of long term a mix up of you know that line in the in the poem but combined with all the the tomton and the nissa imagery that you got yeah i don't because i don't think americans were that much aware of the tomton and the niss maybe Mm -hmm. in like minnesota but like around here no um i wonder since you said that they were on the halloween cards that they like a lot of other traditions a lot of traditions migrated from the past, from Christmas time to Halloween, mm-hmm. the ghosts, you know, the ancestors coming back. Mm-hmm. So maybe in the more recent times, the elves migrated from Halloween to Christmas. That would actually make sense. And that's connected to some other things that I'm thinking about, about how how Christmas and Yuletide used to be a scarier time. And we deal with that now at Halloween. Yeah. And maybe those, those people who were drawing the elves on the Halloween cards started drawing them on the Christmas cards. <laughs> I do have a book of old uh, Swedish Christmas cards, and of course they, but they've had they've had the Tompton and the Niss all the way through. But I think in America, I it's looking good that they they came from Halloween. But I really like yeah. the connection you made. I hadn't made that connection before between the elf crafts craftsmen and smiths and and the toy makers. But there are so many stories about elves being able to make wonderful things in your book. Um, and of course, I'm thinking of the Cimarils as well and the wonderful yes. things that the elves can make in Tolkien. And that line does go through so many of these stories that it makes sense. And when they abduct the bride, they often either leave um, the bridal silver behind, the, the Scandinavian brides, and also um, traditionally northern Germany would wear pinned to the breast of the dress uh, these silver coins and and buttons and chains and uh and then in sweden and norway you have this wonderful bridal crown and the elves when they abduct the bride would either leave her jewelry behind or they would return the bridal crown a couple days later oh wow as if to say we don't yeah your work is not as good as ours we don't need that (laughs) that actually has more connections to santa's elves than i thought I couldn't yeah, make. I don't know if, if the person who, who, or people, that would be an interesting, I have wondered that about a lot. How did all of a sudden the elves are there in the American Christmas tradition? I don't know if that was at the back of that person's mind. I mean, we have the elves and the shoemaker. Mm-hmm. That's 
well-known, so they knew that they're good craftsmen. I love the scene, um, I think they're remaking it now, but the, the original Sabrina Teenage Witch, mm-hmm. where she, Sabrina goes to the North Pole on Christmas Eve, and she's there in the workshop, and there's a grouchy elf. He's got these big scissors, and he's cutting through a piece of red paper, and Sabrina says, oh, are you making paper dolls? And he says, try a Porsche. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, he, yeah, he's like that's how you're grouchy. Just you know, let me do my work. You don't understand. It's fine craftsmanship. <laughs> just get out of my business. Well, and you talk about how many times. I mean, in your book, elf and and the dwarves are often mm-hmm. connected. I mean, what we're talking about here is elves are really those magical sort of hidden creatures. And so dwarves, and especially in the German and the Norse traditions, dwarves have the same often roles as elves, and they're often known for making magical armor and magic rings uh, and, and a cape that can make you like invisible that, so. or a hat. Often it's a hat. Um, the dwarves often get the short end of the stick. That's one difference. I mean, in, in some ways dwarves and elves are synonymous, but in other ways uh, they get tricked. Usually elves are tricking the humans, but humans and, and the Norse gods manage to trick the dwarves. Oh, okay. Yeah. I was going to ask in the Norse, I guess in a lot of the Norse legends, that's right. The dwarves yeah. are getting tricked in. And they're, they're hot for or... the goddesses. They'll do pretty much anything if you promise them they can go to bed with a goddess. But often they're, uh, Freya does sleep with four dwarves in order to get her Brisingamen. And we're not sure what Brisingamen is. Some say it's a necklace. We don't know. Uh, but there's other times where they're tricked out of getting their reward. Yeah, the, the dwarves, I find the dwarves very appealing. There's there's a lot of comic relief there. Mm-hmm. Um Odd things. There's one one dwarf uh, in the funeral of Balder. Balder was the most beautiful and the most beloved of the North gods, and uh, he he died by uh, Loki's trickery. And at his funeral, the gods are all very upset. And then this dwarf named Lit L I T appears, and one of the gods kicks him into the fire. This is the odd episode. Like, why did you do that? I guess the, the dwarves are what you take your anger out on. It's rough. It's rough. It is. It's tough to be a dwarf. It is. It is. I um, the, the Smiths were always um, mystical people because like I, I don't know how to make mm-hmm. metal. Do you know how to make metal to take, uh, you know, tin and copper and make bronze? No clue. And most of the people in those days wouldn't have had a clue either. So if you were a Smith, you got this information, you know, you learned from somebody else who knew how, who learned from somebody else. And you may have come from somewhere distant so you're maybe speaking a different language and whatever you're doing there in the forge is going to look very mysterious to the people around you and so they might have been you know regarded as a race apart like a completely different kind of creature that makes sense in fact um the basque language which you know they they live in um northern spain the basque minority they have their own language, mm-hmm. and it's often thought because their language is unrelated, it's not an Indo-European language, that they must have been, that must be the language that was there originally from the Ice Age, and then the Indo-Europeans moved in around them. But the more recent theory is that they were copper workers who moved in later, um, you know, like still we're talking about mm-hmm. very ancient times. Uh, but they managed to, you know, work their way all through Europe, preserving their own language, probably because they kept themselves apart, because they had this really cool um, art of, of metalworking, and that's how they retained their language. 
And that certainly makes sense why then Smiths would be associated with magical creatures. Mm -hmm. Because it's not well understood unless you know really what you're doing. And of course, if you were a Smith, you weren't going to advertise to everybody how to do it because you want to be able to corner the market. So why did you want to write a book about elf lore? I think I touched on them in the Christmas book. There's really one chapter devoted completely to elves in the Christmas book. And I thought, well, I came across a lot of good stories about them, things that they were doing in, you know, at midsummer and other times of the year. And I thought it would be fun just to Mm -hmm. devote a whole book to them because there's, I mean, you could devote several books to the elves. There's a lot out there. I really had to thin it down. Originally I had um, a Japanese story in there. There was going to need more Irish stories, but it's, it's such a big subject that I really had to whittle it down. So we've got um, German elves, Danish, Swedish, couple Norwegian trolls. Trolls not being not being what most people think when they picture a troll. I think mm-hmm. that's a lot of that's Arthur Rackham's fault and all those um, late 18th century, early 19th century fairy tale illustrations, which make them big and ugly mm-hmm. and rough. Uh, but in Swedish, a troll is really a synonym for elf. It's like a fairy. That's interesting because then you have the, the sort of different national or, or, I don't know, cultural versions of elves. Are there other major sort of cultural or geographic differences that you noticed when doing this? Well, in the Christmas book, I, there were some like definite differences between the, the Danish, the Swedish and the Norwegian, um, the Nis and the Tomten, even like, you know, what they like mm-hmm. to get at Christmas, the, the Finnish ones like to get some brandy on Christmas Eve. Um, <laughs> in this book, I, what I, it's called the lore of old Elfland. And what I define as old Elfland is generally, um, and I took my cue from the Danish archeologist PV Globe, um, who wrote a lot of books on the subject back in the sixties. He identified a cultural zone that was northern Germany, Denmark, and southern Sweden. And mm-hmm. They experienced a golden age. They were very much influenced by uh, central and southeastern Europe. They, they traded with them. It looks like they got uh, brides from them sometimes. So I, instead of zeroing in on the differences, I tried to, to identify what's the same about mm-hmm. the elves and um there were some oddly specific stories that would, you know, cross the national boundaries because, of course, their national boundaries weren't our national boundaries. It would have had little kingdoms. Right. Uh, one of my favorite is the the cellar people, and there's a story about either a, a dropped cup. Somebody has a a dropped a, a cup in the family, some kind of special drinking horn or cup or mug, mm-hmm. and when you ask where did that come from. There's a story how usually it's the whoever the the homeowner was walking in the hills and heard somebody cry out that that they were going to Pingle's funeral. And when he he didn't see who said it, and when he comes home, he mentions this. Oh, I heard somebody said they were going to Pingle's funeral, mentions it over dinner to his wife. And they hear this this cry come from the cellar and they go down to see and there's a spilled cup of beer and they assume that. Pingle must have been one of the cellar people and another cellar person heard that he was dead and got so upset he dropped his cup and ran off and because the cellar people were known (laughs) to regularly sneak into the cellars and and drink beer that was that was kept down there yeah 
Um, so yes, it's like an odd story. It's oddly specific, and we don't know if it if it spread later or if it was a story that was lying underneath and and persisted in all those countries. Yeah. So those I do branch into Norway. Uh, in Norway and Sweden, they have a lot of stories about uh, people who were kidnapped by elves. I don't mm -hmm. think the elves would have looked at it that way. I think the elves would have looked at it as, um, hey, pretty girl, come and live a better life. You can marry our son <laughs> and um, come and live in the mountains with us and have, have everything you want. And those stories, the ones of those that I like best are where... Uh, Sometimes, occasionally it's a stolen bridegroom, usually it's a stolen bride, where she turns out to be happy. Yeah. yeah. Usually you think, oh, you know, poor Ingrid or whatever, she's never coming back. But there was one, one story where she does, she is encountered again. Somebody waits for her at the crossroads and she comes and she's in this nice retinue with her new husband and her new family and she's doing very well. Uh, but she doesn't have shoes. And just because her parents haven't given away her old shoes yet as soon as they give her old shoes away she can have new shoes new good elf made shoes and then she'll be oh, completely wow. happy yeah. <laughs> well that's what i think you know i think a lot of people who like elf lore would love to be the one who got traded yeah away. but yeah, <laughs> you don't know kid, how so it's gonna go though up. you have to be you have to be careful and then there's another one uh where it's a uh, elven boy tries to lure away a girl who's working on a farm and she she refuses him and then later after she's married to a mortal man and has a bunch of kids and she's working in the field and she's worn out and the elven boy who's still a boy of course he pops up again and he says don't you wish you'd come with me <laughs> well the other i was thinking about the different cultural identities. You also talk about the, and I'm I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it correctly, but the Tuatha De Danann. Yeah, I, um, I don't know Gaelic, so I, and, yeah, I don't know if you're pronouncing correctly either. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but they're different because so many of the continental traditions seem to have where the, the elves are a sort of small, more, I guess you could say native people. Mm -hmm. Whereas in Ireland, the Tuatha Dé Danann become more like the Tolkien yeah. elves, right? Like the noble, the royal. royal race that was ancient. And even and... after, um, I'm not a big fan of Irish mythology. I took a, a class and um, there's like, it, it's like very exaggerated. Um, you know, somebody has, mm -hmm. you know, eyes as big as millstones and, you know, five arms and, and all of that. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, they were the royal family who was there when I forget there's all these. It's a whole epic where, you know, one army invades, conquers the other army. And mm -hmm. then there's there's the Firbolg then another one comes. Um, so, I, so, but, so I think the Tuatha de Danann, however that might be pronounced, um, they I think they were the last native royals that today's Irish came and conquered them. But even though they conquered them, mm -hmm. they still worshipped them because they were on the on the cusp between mortals and gods. And so it's like we conquered you, but we're going to continue to make offerings and still um, worshiping. you might grab us and take us to the hills. Yeah, yeah kind of having yeah. it both ways. <laughs> we beat you, but we you were better kind than of like us. King Arthur. But we beat you, so I mean, his story is yeah. told by the yeah. people who defeated oh, yeah. him. Absolutely. So the book is coming out or has come out by the time this uh, yeah, comes oh, out. Yeah, it will have. Yeah. Yeah. Um, November 8th, you November said is the 8th date? November 8th is the official release date, yes. 
Wonderful. And available anywhere you get books yeah. online and other places. It's called The Lore of Old Elfland, Secrets from the Bronze Age to Middle Earth. And Linda, thanks again for talking thanks to me. Thanks for having me. It was fun. You can order the book online, of course, and there's a Kindle version, too. So if you're looking for a Christmas gift for that elf lover in your life, there you go. Shopping finished. Links to our books and a few other things we mentioned are all at weirdchristmas.com. We talked for about an hour, and I'll post the full conversation on my Patreon site if you want to hear us ramble about other elf lore not connected to the holidays or about how we're both really bad at German declensions. Joining Patreon will also give you access to a lot of little bonuses and a separate podcast about other holidays I'm doing all year long. $2 a month is all it takes. I'm trying this to help cover costs of hosting and websites and all the books I buy, and thank you so much to everyone who's already signed up. You can also help by taking just a minute to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. The season's just starting, but the more reviews I have, the higher up the list the show will appear when people search for Christmas. And if you do it soon, like before Thanksgiving, I'll send you an actual physical reproduction postcard of one of the stranger cards I share on social media. Just email me after you do it at weirdxmas at gmail.com so I know. You know, and I'll probably send you one if you do it after Thanksgiving too, but hey, early's better. And speaking of cards, I'm about to make the transition to all Christmas all the time on there. There are still some gems of the uncanny Thanksgiving Valley to share, but follow me on Twitter or Tumblr to see them. I'm doing a lot more on Instagram too, but the way they make you post means that Twitter and Tumblr get the most love. I have a feed on Facebook too, and I'm trying to get the Facebook Weird Christmas group more active. It's small right now, but people are already sharing all kinds of oddities I've never seen. So hop in that group to see how many people find even stranger stuff than I can. Linda's on there too, and she's having a lot of fun posting, so thanks, Linda. But that is hardly all. I've got more episodes lined up this year than I ever have before, and I'm going to do my best to get you an episode out every Monday and Friday until Christmas. Maybe even more if I can convince work that I've got bird flu or temporary dementia, but lots of good stuff. And quickly, to everyone emailing me asking when the writing contest results will be out, I have an answer for you. Soon. So until next time, don't let Santa stuff you in his bulging, sweaty sack. He's several hours late The skyline's growing dim While others deck the halls You dream of decking We should do. We should do a, an episode where we just speak entirely in bad German. Bad German. Yeah, mine would be twenty years yeah. old now too.